The OMTG Taps is brought to you by StarCityGames.com. Hey everybody, welcome to episode over 9,000 of Yo MTG Taps. This is Big Head Joe, I'm this here. Is, uh, and this is Joey Pasco. Yeah, do you even know that means? I, I don't know that old Oh meme. man, that one is old too. That one is going to be new to me, what is it? Okay, fine, god damn it. No, you don't, don't, don't show me, I just, you just tell me. It's a, it, it's 17 seconds long, it's a Dragon Ball Z thing. Oh, that's okay, I, I get it, it's a Dragon Ball Z thing, that was all I needed to know. I'll look at it later. So uh, this is episode thirty-two over nine thousand thirty-two nine thousandths. Uh, <laughs> Yo, MTG taps. Um, let's see. We have we have a whole list of topics here that I started writing on paper and decided to not write the rest because I figured I could just consult my phone for the rest. <laughs> um, so uh, the the big the big event this weekend was GP Columbus. Yep. Was legacy, so it, we don't have not so big event. It, yeah, it, it wasn't as interesting to us. Tamaharu Saito was the winner. He played Merfolk, and he uh, he played against Tom Martell, who played Countertop um, in the finals. And uh, so, congratulations to both of those guys. Semi sober. Yes, yeah, semi sober on Twitter. That's right. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, congratulations to both of those guys for for. Uh, Top twoing GP Columbus <laughs> because I don't have a list of the other six guys. Yeah, um, there were some guys. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, Brad Nelson made the top eight. Did he make top eight? Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I think the uh, the more interesting story to me. Did you hear about the guy that was DQ'd? I didn't actually like hear anything about it, but um, I mean, I know that somebody was DQ'd for um, betting on himself. Right. So Drew Levin was playing Craig Wesco in the final round. This is from what I understand, and, I, and hopefully I don't have any of this wrong. Um, but uh, he was playing Craig Wesco in the final round, and he won. And he said, according to him, jokingly, I bet my friend, or my, my friend bet me 50 to 1 odds I wouldn't make top 8. You know, And uh, he apparently said it very loud, like kind of deliberately. I, I think in his, his brain, you know, that was, that's even more evidence that he was kidding. But Craig Wesco called a judge, and the the judges, I guess, investigated, and I, what, the result of it was he was DQ'd after making top eight. That was he would have made top eight, from what I understand. Hmm. Um, people are uh, pretty upset at Craig Wesco for it. I don't really feel like he uh, he's to blame for this. But I do think the DQ is ridiculous. How come everyone gets upset when, like, someone does their job as a player and calls a judge? Right, exactly. Like, that's your job. Like, if you suspect anything's going on, it's your job as a player to call a judge and have them make a ruling. You know, it's not even like a... It's not like he was, he's trolling for wins. He doesn't need to troll for wins. He's freaking Craig Wesco. Right, well, the, the thing that I think... I, I think the DQ is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, maybe because I don't understand. I don't understand what the, what the problem is. I don't understand what he did wrong. Like, what's wrong with betting on yourself? Now, if he bet on himself, I, ge- I guess he could bet on himself and throw the... You know, bet, bet against himself and throw it, but since he bet on himself... Wagering on games is, is against the rules in general. Right, well, and that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I just don't... Maybe I want to understand why that is. I don't even understand the whole concept of why gambling in general in the United States, there's, you know, legalities. I don't understand. Like, it's, I'm not sure where the line is because I feel like, you know, everybody's got, like, football pools. I mean, isn't that the same damn thing? Um, Block pools for the Super Bowl. Like, everybody, this is all very acceptable things. You know, I mean, there's poker all over television. Okay, so is that not gambling now? What's the difference between... Where where is the line and what is gambling and what is wrong with gambling? I don't understand. I don't know honestly. I, I mean, just, like all I know is that like, you know, there are there are clear cut rules. You know what I mean? Like like right. like, you know, you can you can like have opinions on whether or not you think those rules are fair. Right, and that's but that's why, my. But, why, yeah. but like, unlike something like the social contract in EDH. There is a clearly defined set of what you can and cannot do 
in in magic. You know what I mean? And there are like and there's an infractions procedure guide, and there are you know there for each level event there are different infractions and different penalties associated with those infractions. Right, and that makes sense. And and so so I mean like. So, you know, in, in a competitive level event, which day two, or day two is a professional event. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm sure that any sort of bet, side bets or anything in any games is grounds for disqualification, even if you're not in the match. Right, and that's where my question comes in. Because I understand, I don't, th- I don't fault Wesco, I don't fault the judges, I don't fault, I think everything was done by the book, I just don't understand the book. And, and, and also, it's not, it's counterintuitive, or maybe not counterintuitive, but it's not intuitive to me, like that doesn't, that sounds like an innocent enough thing, whether he was joking or not joking, to me that just doesn't sound like there's anything wrong, it didn't affect his play, right, he's trying to win, Well, here's the w- I don't get it. Here's the way I look at it, you're at a professional level event, you're, you're representing Wizards of the Coast. You're supposed to be a professional, right? Right. Jokes about side events and stuff like that. I mean, jokes about bets are just, are just you know, I mean, See, it's, that's, and I it's don't a under- joke. I understand that it's a joke. If anyone understands jokes, it's me. You know what right, I mean? Right. But, like, here's the thing. Like, say your job is, like, okay, say you work for, like, like, uh, like in, like, I don't know. Say you work for, like, uh, some sort of, like, say, okay, say you work for the NAACP, Mm -hmm. right? Okay? You're at work, and you make, like, some sort of joke, like an inappropriate racial joke. It doesn't have to be, like, blatantly offensive, Mm -hmm. but it's just, like, there are certain things you just don't do because they're not acceptable in your line of work. You know what I mean? Side bets are unacceptable in, 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 in... in magic and especially at professional events and you just shouldn't there's a time and place to joke about things right and, so, and uh, all everything you're saying like i understand that that is reality but i don't understand why like i don't understand why is it unprofessional to get what is i don't understand the problem with gambling like hey i'm going to think i think this guy's gonna win you think this guy's gonna win let's just gamble on it what what is the problem i don't get what the problem is now like like would he have been DQ'd if he had said, you know, good game, you know, I made top eight. I just, you know, right before this round, I was starving. I went to Chipotle and I walked out without paying for my lunch. Would they DQ him? I mean, he just admitted that he stole something. Now, that's absolutely against the law. Not in the DCI rulebook. Right, exactly. But I know it's not in the DCI rulebook. But you can go murder somebody and then go play in your top eight match. And, and You'll get arrested by the real-life police, right. but, but the magic police aren't going to give a crap. They're going to go, well, did you sufficiently randomize your deck right like right well i know but and and i'm just saying it doesn't it seems to me like i just don't understand what the problem is that whether he was joking or not i still assuming just assume that he was entirely serious like i did i bet i and i did it good like i don't understand why that's a problem you know what I mean? Hey, I bet you I can, you know, jump up and touch that branch. Okay, it's a bet. And then I jump up and touch the branch. Hey, cool, I won the bet. No, no, you can't. Now you, it doesn't count because you made a bet on it. I don't really get it. Like, I don't get how it affected his play, his matches. He didn't cheat. I don't, like, those things, cheating is understandable to me. But I don't, and, and that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm not, I don't know. That's my entire point. I don't know and I don't understand why that's a problem. Okay. That's all. So, anyway, you well, can all uh, you can read Drew's side of the story on the Starkington Post. He I, actually he actually wrote like a write up of it. I think that uh, the lesson to be learned here is RTFR. But um, yeah, I guess. I, and like I said, I I wouldn't have known something like that would have been unacceptable because it just doesn't seem to me like it. It shouldn't affect the game. I don't understand. It right. shouldn't well, affect I mean, the entire tournament. It has no effect on anything. Yeah. I, I don't get it. That's all. Well. So uh, it's just me not knowing. And so uh, I, I, haven't, uh, I haven't heard a, a reasonable reason to why it's a problem. So that, that's where I, my disagreement falls. Now, I don't think Wesco should be getting like the, the crap storm that he's enduring right now. Uh, it's kind of ridiculous. Like he just did what he 
should have done. Did his job as a player. Right, because he, he did know that that was a problem. Now, if yep. I were in Wesco's place, I would have laughed and walked away, right? Like, I wouldn't have said anything because I wouldn't have known that that was an issue. I would have called a judge. Yeah, see, I, I luckily you know that, I guess. I, I don't know. But it's just something, it doesn't seem, it doesn't seem like it has any bearing on anything to me. You know, just don't get it, so... On the scars of Mirrodin front, um, last night or, or today, this morning, um, Wizards announced the name of the second set in the Scars of Mirrodin block as Mirrodin Besieged. Um, what's kind of interesting is, back a couple months back, we found out the name Mirrodin Pure and New Phyrexia, not officially, but they were in like the trademark. Uh, I guess whatever, whatever resource it is that people are, are looking at for trade, new trademarks, new registered trademarks, um, and Mirrodin Pure and, Mir- and um, New Phyrexia were both in that uh, database or something. So everybody kind of speculated that they might be the second and third sets. Now, the funny thing is Mirrodin Besieged is apparently not there. Hmm. It's not in, in that trademark database, so that seems kind of odd, but we can... Uh, adjust our theories now, I guess, and speculate on what exactly Mirrodin Pure and New Phyrexia are. Um, you had a theory. I, I have a couple of theories, actually. The, the, my two theories are because there was this rumor of the different factions. Like yeah, the and faction we, did, we didn't talk about that, but I know... We uh, didn't? No, we didn't, but Evan Irwin talked about it on The Magic Show, uh, I think, last week. Okay. So, um, but, so let's but, talk about yeah, it Yeah, well, go, go ahead. Do you, I think you might know it more than I do. I just watched that episode, but I'm I don't remember the didn't, details. I forgot we didn't talk. I thought we did for some reason. We haven't been talking much about Scars. We're Fair too enough. We're too happy about M11. Yeah, we're, 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 we're focused on the present right now. Yeah. Um, I, well, I'm a little focused on the future, like just with the decks I've been playing. But, yeah, uh, well, that you're focused on not playing cards that you're going to lose in a couple of months. Pretty much. Right. Um, the theory was that... Um, is passed down from some inside source, my favorite inside source, um, and it was that um, th- the second set in Mirrodin Block was going to have two factions, and there were going to be booster packs that you could choose from, like Mirrodin or Phyrexia, basically, like light dark. Like, I, wasn't that like a Star Wars thing, like in the Star yeah, Wars I th- I TCG? Think the, I think the Star Wars TCG was all based Had around the light, like, side, the dark light, side, light side, and dark side booster right. packs. Well, it's kind of going to be the same way with this, where you can pick, um, you know, a faction. And in the in like in the pre-release and in limited events, you pick a faction and you receive only boosters from that faction, which seems really interesting. But it also seems like it could really screw up draft, doesn't it? Yeah, I don't know how much I like it. I hope I kind of hope it's not true in a way. I mean, unless it's. I mean, there's got to be more to it. So maybe the, you know that unknown factor will make me like it but based on these this idea i don't know how I, I i don't know exactly how i feel about it but it certainly doesn't excite me it more like scares me or like i'm like oh, i don't i don't like that at all from a from a player standpoint it's really exciting to me yeah. like i love the fact that like I just feel like that's really flavorful, and it could create some really unique situations um, in limited. Now, like once again, I have no idea how they would do booster draft. Like, what if some like does everybody have to pick light or dark collectively? Right. I, I don't know if anyone's ever been in like a communist like uh, like an autonomous collective, but like, <laughs> good lord, like having eight people all agree on something, nothing ever gets done. So, um, anyway. Uh, but for like sealed, that could be so cool. Like, yeah, I could see it being like, neat for sealed. I want because like you you could like kind of like especially if you know the sets a little better, you could kind of mold your deck a little bit by choosing light or dark. You know, yeah. like you know what you're getting from scars, and then from the next from from the next set, you could pick three packs of one or three packs of the other, and have like a little more customization than you normally could. Um, now. And also from a player standpoint, um, that means that like if there is a particular rare or mythic that you want to open, that's only going to be in one or the other kind of booster, you have a much greater chance of opening that card 
and being able to, you know, sway your purchase in the direction you need to. Now, here's where I see the huge problem from a dealer standpoint. What if the packs, like the chase rares, are weighted towards one set or the other? Yeah. Like, oh my god, can you imagine how bad it would be? Especially if they mix them in the same booster box. Right, so you Can you imagine how bad it would be to have to, like, start piling dark side packs because all the good stuff in the light nobody buys them you know what right, i mean right. yeah oh my god that could be such a disaster so if they do that hopefully they do it in two different sealed booster boxes you know like cuz that would just solve a lot of problems for dealers uh, it just could be a nightmare for dealers if they, if it's not weighted but of course wizards knows which cards are going to be hot, which cards aren't, for the most part, because they test the cards and their players. Right. So they know which cards kick ass and which cards are more casual, etc. They have no way to indicate, like, what the... Like, they don't have, like, the values all set in stone. They don't really care. Like, they don't right. care that Jace is 80 bucks. Well, I know... Is that theory for... Does that apply to... Scars of Mirrodin, because from what I understood, the theory applied to the set after Scars right, of right, Mirrodin. Right, right, right. Well, that's why. That's well. That's I'm I'm applying it to the second set right now. Right, because that was now, the original. There are several ways that this could all go. One, this could be entirely untrue, and we're wasting your time. Two, it could be uh, the second set, and it could be a small set, which I think would be the best possible situation. So you're saying for like, being able to pull the rares you want out of certain packs. Right, so you're basically saying it would be like a small set of, of you know, 150 cards, and each set would have 75. Right. Is that what you're saying? Okay. That's what I'm saying. That would be the best possible set for, cons- the best possible situation for consistency's sake. Yeah. Um, which I would make a little bit of sense, like, if you really want, like, someone's sealed pool to go in a certain direction, you know what I mean? To be able to concentrate the cards that much mm-hmm. would allow for that to happen. Um, so that's an interesting way to look at it. Uh, now, the other thing it could be is the first set could be a big set. The second set could be a small set. And like they've been doing, the third set could be another large set with two small sets kind, in it. Kind of like they did with Rise of the Eldrazi, except cutting it in half. Cutting it in half right. and splitting it between the two factions. Now, I have an even wilder theory than, than just the, um, the two factions. Well, wait a second. Uh, somebody else suggested that maybe that's going to be this this two faction thing may actually be in Scars of Mirrodin, and that's not far fetched right, either because it is a big set. They True. could just split it in half, and they could like even that. they could even like go big big set like three fifty. You know what I mean? Like if they wanted, you know what I mean? Like because Uh-oh, since because they're splitting it, sets, right. they could go like huge set with it. When you said 350, I was like, that's how big the sets normally are. And I realized it wasn't, you know, Not anymore. 2003 or something. Yeah, right? Because sets used to be that big. Uh, so, wild theory. Ready for the wild theory? Yes. Dark side faction introduces purple mana for one set. Yeah, see, now that was the other thing, was this idea of purple mana. And at first, well, people have been talking about it for years. For years. And apparently, and I think you reminded me of this, about they were thinking of doing it in Time Spiral for Block? For Planar Chaos. For Planar Chaos. So and instead they did the Planar Shifted cards. Right, like a Future Shifted. Or not Future Shifted, the, uh, the like... Plane Shifted. Right. Well, yeah, everything was in, a, in the wrong color. Right. So, right. like... I, Col- color I, Shifted, I guess, is more what it was. Sure, worked, sure. Yeah. <laughs> um... And, like, with that, like, I forget, I read an article on the Mothership about that. Yeah, or I don't something, really Or maybe I didn't. But anyway, they were considering it for that, and it wound up getting tabled. It's not a far-fetched idea. To do it for one set wouldn't be a terrible thing. And to split the packs into factions would allow for a concentrated enough amount of cards of that, you know, of that co- new color. Mm-hmm. To be um, to be utilized properly without like it being something that's either going to be thrown aside or not used at all, you know. Yeah, um, I, I'm not sure. The other the other recent thing was the art for time reversal. Exactly. Now, because if you look at the art for time reversal, it's got like what six planets? Six planets. One and is purple. One looks purplish. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like the on the color wheel on the back of the card, if they were to change the back, which they wouldn't at all. But right. if they were to change the back, purple is the is going to, like you've got um, you've Good. got blue and red, 
op- opposites. Like enemy colors. Yeah, on, on the wheel. You've got white and blue opposites, and then green's kind of floating no, you there. Mean, you mean white and... Uh, Sorry, and, white and black. Yeah. Blue and red, white and black, and then green and purple would be polar opposites. I see. So that's how that would work. Um, now, you know, do they do this? Like, are they going to do this? I don't know. I don't work for them. But, like, I think it's cool to, to, to speculate about it. I would love to see it happen, frankly. See, and I, I think, I, and I'm the same the same way, I feel the same way about Purple Mana as I do about the, the double set in one kind of thing, where it's like, I don't really like the idea of it, because, you know, they've only spent mm, 17 years trying to push this color pie, and suddenly they're going to, like, wedge this in there, even if only for one set, like... Like what the hell is this? You know, like they've been pushing it, and the, and the whole the way the color wheel works is every color has two enemies. So like throwing this purple in there, as as you're saying, you know, it's the opposite of green, but like it throws everything off. Right. It's like now every color what has three enemies or something, or or does everybody hate purple? Like what? I mean, I hate purple. You don't. So I guess everybody doesn't hate purple. Right. But, <laughs> but no, it just seems really odd. Now again, there's. Plenty that we probably don't know about this. So, and what and the things we don't know could actually make this a lot more attractive to me. But just the general idea of introducing another color mana doesn't sound like a good idea to me. What if they have a two mana counter spell? That throws me off too because it's not in blue. I know, but I'm just <laughs> saying, like, would you just start playing purple? I'm not going to not play Affinity purple. Affinity for planets. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever the hell goddamn purple would be. Affinity for Phyrexia. <laughs> Affinity Phyrexia. But, no, it's not like I'm not going to play it. I'm not like, I refuse to play purple if they release it. I'm just saying I don't like the idea of it now without knowing anything else and not even knowing this for sure. I don't really care for the idea. But, again, like, there's all sorts of things we don't know. All right, um, Hannity. Well, things change, you know. That's fine. Thing And... and <laughs> You know, I can be resistant to that change and then accept it. I don't have to jump right in, right? I can be resistant at first, uh, or hesitant, you know, a little bit wary, that's all. Um, we should be getting some more information about Scars of Mirrodin pretty soon, because usually, like... August already, holy right. crap. Well, I'm just saying, yeah, we have a pre-release in, like, six weeks. Or something, you know. Like, I just did a girly like yeah, hand. Joe's shake like moving, excitement. waving his hands in the air. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, one thing we do know is the title of the novel mm-hmm. for Scars of Mirrodin. Now this has me really excited, mm-hmm. way more excited than anything else we've heard. The name of the novel is Scars of Mirrodin: The Quest for Karn. And uh, I don't know how you know a- any of you new players might not know who Karn is or or. Uh, what happened to him, but basically, you know, in the greater mythology of magic, the probably the main character of magic in the history has been Urza and his brother Mishra, and they had the Brothers' War, which uh, caused the Ice Age, which, you know, became a whole set, and uh, basically, um, Phyrexia, well, Urza was trying to fight Phyrexia because the Phyrexians kind of took over uh, they they ended up killing his brother, although they, they sort of uh, had him... He became part Phyrexian. I, I don't want to get too much into the storyline, but... Spoiler Car- alert! Yeah, sorry about that. But uh, <laughs> if you're interested in that, I urge you to read the Artifact Cycle, book one. It's an anthology. Well, you could read book one and two. It's uh, two anthologies that are, that are out, which include... The Thran, which they're the race, the, the civilization that eventually became the Phyrexians. Um, that's the kind of like the prequel. And then it's the Brothers' War, which, which is, is both of our all-time favorite magic novel. It's one of my favorite books ever. Like, I enjoy it so much. Just, I mean, it has to do with me liking magic, so that's probably why I like it so much. But I've read a lot of magic books, and none of them come close to being in my, uh, you know, my favorite books except for The Brothers' War. So there's a Thran, The Brothers' War, and then it has, uh, I think, I think there's one more book in there in that uh, anthology. I'm not sure. But basically, between the two anthologies, it goes Thran, Brothers' War, Planeswalker, Time Streams, and Bloodlines. And I may be reversing those last two, but, uh, but basically there were... Um, 
there were four books not including the Thran. But that whole story is told in those books, and again, they're collected in an anthology, The Artifact Cycle, book one and book two. Karn was a creation of Urza's that could basically, because he could survive these, uh, these time rifts that, that were uh, a result of kind of like some experiments that Urza was doing, uh, again, I don't want to get too much into it, and part of it, I haven't read the book in years, so right. I'm not getting it all right. But inaccurate current, spoiler alert. Yeah, inaccurate spoilers. <laughs> Sorry. No, I think that that much was was true. But anyway, Karn was like a silver, kind of like a robot, I guess you could think of him. But he was more like an artifact, like a sentient artifact that Urza created, and he eventually became a planeswalker because of uh, some events in in the storyline that, again. You can find out if you want to read the books. But he became a planeswalker, and the last time we saw him was in Time Spiral Block, the story for Time Spiral Block. He was there to try to help uh, basically save the, the universe or the multiverse because of all the, um, the chaos that was happening in the Time Spiral storyline. And he, like, he disappeared into the, uh, the Blind Eternities, which is, I guess, like Limbo, uh, so I guess it's, it's time for another spoiler alert. No, right. Well, the blind eternities are what planeswalkers travel through to to reach other planes, um, and so we haven't seen them since. So th- apparently, we're going back to this storyline, which excites me, you know, a hell of a lot because I've loved the original storyline. I love the Urza Mishra thing. Like that's my favorite storyline. All the Dominaria stuff, um, mm-hmm. Ice Age, and and. Uh, for anybody who's interested in the storyline, like these actually are good books. I feel like you know the yeah. the Urza block, or the Urza storyline, and then um, the Gathering Dark, the Ice Age cycle books. Those are really good. You haven't read those? I think there's, no, I there's three of those. I've only, I mean, actually, to be honest, out of the Artifact cycle, the only one I've read is Brothers War. It's really good. Yeah, that's I'll, the only magic book I think I've read more than once. Right. And I've read that one maybe I've read three Torment or four times. More than once. Torment was pretty Torment good. Torment was one of my favorites. So the Zendikar novel. This is the first magic novel that I started reading and put down because I just couldn't stand reading any more of it. Um, it was really boring. Unfortunately, the same author that wrote the Zendikar novel, which is the teeth in the teeth of Akuum, uh-huh. uh, is the one who's writing A Quest for Karn, or who has written... The Scars of Mirrodin Quest for Karn novel. So, um, but I don't know that he's to blame exactly. Right. My, uh, I guess my criticism is the fact that they're putting these books out after the sets are all released. Mm-hmm. The release date for the Quest for Karn is March 22nd, which is right around the time that we're going to be getting spoilers for the third set, I suppose. You know, theoretically, uh, the the final set in the block should be, you know, ramping up around mm-hmm. around then. Right. Uh, so, now, to me, I always read the novels not only just because I was interested in the storyline, but because I was excited for the set. And the last novel I was able to do this with was um, was the Lorwyn novel. Uh, I didn't actually read Morning Tide. I never bought it. And Shadowmore was like an anthology, and I... I have it and I never read it hmm. because an anthology doesn't appeal to me as much as like an actual storyline that I get into. I, I don't like getting into a story and having it end and having to get into another story. I tend to not like short stories. Hmm. But anyway, that's another uh, another topic for never. Um, <laughs> but uh, I we, we'd be get, getting all this information. You know, this new set's coming out and I'd be really excited and it would be uh, a couple weeks before the pre-release the novel would come out and I'd buy it the day it came out and read it because it was just way, a way for me to get more pumped about this set and more excited and, and understand the storyline and everything. And ever since, uh, I think, Shards of Alara was the first block where they decided to print the book at the end. instead of It used to be one book per set. Mm-hmm. Right. They decided to merge them into one book per block and release it at the end. I sort of understand the idea of releasing it at the end if they were going to merge them. I like the idea of making the story more concise, like rather than trying to draw it out into three books, just release one book for the storyline of the block. But the fact that it's at the end, 
it's like they don't they miss out on capitalizing on the excitement of people. And mm-hmm. we may have mentioned this. I think we mentioned this in a uh, an episode back in December when we were talking about different magic books. And I, and we were talking about um, decade and next level magic and my files, any kind of magic book. But we did touch on this a little bit. But I really feel like. With uh, by the time the Zendikar novel came out, we knew the basic storyline. We knew Zendikar was this land that had like these crazy things happening, where all where the the land itself would attack you, and and we knew that the Eldrazi were were the cause of this, or, or the fact that the land was trying to protect itself from the reemergence of these Eldrazi. So I get the book, and I'm like halfway into it, and at the point I stopped reading, they're still trying to figure out what the heck these Eldrazi are. And I'm like, I already know this. Why did I have to read 200 pages or 150 pages, and I haven't really even learned any more than I've already found out from just reading the 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 setup for the set and the flavor text and yeah. the different things, different articles on the mothership. I felt like this all this information is is just it's rehash of things that I already know like but if this book had come out in September you bet your ass I would have been eating it up I uh-huh. would have been like what is this what are these things what right. is going on right I would have been excited because I would have wanted to know I w- that's why you read a book you don't want to read the book if you know the ending you know uh, rarely or it's a totally different experience that's what I mean I think you know what I think they should do um instead of doing like a poorly edited like massive novel for every set or even for every block i mean they could i mean cuz i know i understand why they don't want to put the block novel at the beginning of a block you know what i mean because they want to they, they, they want to surprise people right especially the, the, with the Eldrazi. especially with the third set you know right. what i mean like because it's just so far ahead from the release of the book except that, the funny thing with the Shards of Alara thing uh, was we found out the name of Alara Reborn like in the fall. So it was kind of like, well, I guess what happens is Alara comes back together and that just spoiled it, right? You know what I mean? Like that, yeah. that spoiled it just fine. So either do away with the novels, right? Mm-hmm. Do away with them entirely. Or put like a comic book out for, for each set. Like something that costs a lot less to produce something that's going to be a lot more concise, something that, like, just appeals to a broader range of your audience anyway. You know what I mean? And and just and just be done with it. I mean, if you want to expand it a little, do, like, a graphic novel, like a $10 freaking graphic novel or something. It's going to be more expensive than a book, so people are going to pay more money to Wizards, and they're going to get something that's probably going to be a little more enjoyable, way more concise, and is going to build up the anticipation for the set. Right, so you're basically saying, suggesting they go back to the release a book for each set, but instead of a novel for each set, a graphic novel for each yeah. set. Yeah! Right, I like that idea. You I know, think that's, that's a really good. cool idea, and like, or just do away with it, because like, if you're going to put the book out at the end of the block, you're just wasting money printing these books. Right, you just got money to pay R&D more. They deserve it. They really have done some <laughs> great work the last couple of years. You know, give that money to your staff for putting out such a good product every year. Yeah, it just and seems... don't waste it on such stupid crap like a novel that is serving no purpose. Right. Now, uh, back a couple of years ago... Uh, gosh, I want to say back in 2002, okay. I wrote Ask Wizards a question saying, hey, you guys are always posting things in the Arcana about style guides, like sketches. When will you release a book of these? I love seeing sketches. I love like seeing the sketches and, and things that they have from the style guide. I want to see the style guide. They should just print the style guide. That's what you know I suggested. Well, no, they didn't answer that question. So I wrote it again like a couple years later, and they did answer it. Um, Jeremy Jarvis was, uh, you know, this is probably around time, the time Time Spiral was around, and they answered it. And he thought, he said, uh, we've thought about doing something like that, um, so we'll put, he actually replied to me saying, we're going to put up a poll, and then on the Ask Wizards, they put up the poll. They, they put the question, and then they put up the poll. And I don't know, obviously, what other people voted, but I voted for it. And their first, you know, the product of that was the Shards of Alara, uh, the Planeswalker's Guide to Alara. 
And what they did was they took the idea of the style guide and they twisted it into a, let's pretend you're a planeswalker and this is like a travel guide, like a field guide to what you're going to see in Alara. And so it had some sketches in it and some card artwork. And it was pretty neat. It wasn't exactly what I had envisioned. I had more envisioned something like along the lines of the World of Warcraft art books, which are like hardcover books that they, they release, I think, with each expansion. I don't play World of Warcraft, but a friend of mine does, and he doesn't want the art books, so he gives them to me. Mm-hmm. I just enjoy that. Um, so I was envisioning something like that. But, you know, the Planeswalker's Guide to Alara I thought was pretty cool, and especially knowing that, like, I, I may have had, like, a little tiny bit to do with it. Like, that was kind of neat. Um, but that was the last time they did it. And I guess it didn't sell very well, but what you're suggesting kind of sounds similar to that, where it would be like a graphic novel, because this kind of was more graphic novel-y than, than novel, uh, than an actual storybook novel kind of thing. But, it, um, um, but also, that came out... Um, came out at the right before Shards of Alara. Right, right so, so it, it so was it exciting. excitement. Right, exactly. So right. I was excited about it, and, and I think if they were to have released it at the end... It would have been terrible because they'd be like, "Oh, here's a bunch of art we've seen on cards." I mean, I remember seeing the the artwork from Mile the Anima, and I was like, "That, I hope that card is good because that art is awesome." Of course, the card sucked, but uh, it was the same artist, Jason Chan, who uh, who did Jason the Mind Sculptor. So you know he's a good artist, right? Um, you know I'm, what I'm, I'm excited about? What's that? At Nationals, Vincent Prost is going to be there. Uh, he did those Japanese forests that uh, John Medina sent me. Oh, cool, cool. So, so I'm going to get those. those Japanese forests signed. Pretty nice. Which is awesome. You should have him, have him draw some things like in the tree. Oh, yeah, of course. Pretty cool. Of course. But, but I'm definitely getting them signed. But uh, but anyway, so that uh, now you also on the topic of graphic novels, I read Path of the Planeswalker, which is kind of like a collection of all the little one-shot stories they do occasionally. And it's terrible. Like, I just felt like it was such a waste, honestly. Like, I, I don't like... I, I, I mentioned earlier I don't like the short story thing, and a lot of this, like, some of it's kind of continued, but suddenly the artist changes, and I hate that. I, oh, yeah. I can't stand when I'm reading something and I'm, like, getting into it, and then suddenly the artist changes. It's like, it completely spoils the illusion. Takes you out of that world. Right, like now I'm getting used to this other artist and sometimes the art is terrible and sometimes it's really good and unfortunately even if it's terrible at least it's consistent. At least I can, I would rather have one terrible artist throughout a book than, you know, some good, some terrible, some great all mixed up. Like Walking Dead is is a comic that I read and I hate the artwork. I like the original artist. He was on it for like the first several issues and they switch to this new artist and I think it's terrible. Really? I can't tell the damn characters apart. It's all dark. It's just terrible artwork in my huh. opinion. And But I can't stop reading it because I love the story and at least I know what I know the world I'm entering right. when I see it. So um, I would hope that if they were to do something like your idea that it would just be a consistent pick an artist. There's plenty of people oh, out yeah. there. No, like, There's no, so many good artists well, out there. Even one per book is fine. You know what I mean? Like one artist per book. That's what I'm saying. Right. Oh like, yeah. Like no, I don't want a collection of short stories. I want, no, I, I know. I want the novel compressed into a graphic novel. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the storyline for one set compressed into one set, and then yeah, yeah, and then like, and just have it be like that. I think that would be such a better idea. But um, anyway. Yeah, I know we. You know, it was kind of a rant, but I, I think that it's, it's a constructive criticism. It is. It's important to me because I really like getting into these stories. Yeah, I really. I mean, we're not just like slinging cards around. You know what I mean? Like, we're not into this game just because it's like, hey, I could make some money doing this. I don't care. I mean, like, yeah, we want to win, but like, we like every aspect of this game. You know, yeah. like, we if we didn't love it, we wouldn't be talking on this freaking podcast right now. You know, and just to and to love this game is more than just like to love winning. Yeah. You know, and to love competing. Like, we love every aspect of this game, and it's all important to us. You know, exactly. like, we really want to see every aspect of this game succeed succeed right. and be and be awesome and exciting and fun for us to enjoy and to be able to tell you to you know to go enjoy it yourself so um, um just uh in case any of you are interested there is an interview with robert wintermute the author of uh the zendikar novel and the scars of mirrodin novel up on gatheringmagic.com and i will link that in the show notes so 
But you want to move on to another topic? Um, well, no, we do have these couple of uh, of spoilers. Okay, let's talk about those. I don't have those, so okay. I didn't. I mean, unless there's something it, I there's saw. There's nothing really special, but like, um, where did you, is this just new? Like, this was from the Com- San Diego Comic Con. Oh, that's right. I forgot about. Um, those. There was a Wizards panel, um, and Mark Rosewater and crew were there discussing different things. Let's they, save those for next week. I'm just going to run through this. It's only the first couple. All right. Like pieces of information. Okay, so just a couple things real quick. Um, so spoiled from this discussion was that there's going to be either a reprint or an upgrade, if you could possibly upgrade it, to Elspeth. There's going to be a version of Elspeth in Scars. Yeah. From what's been told. There's also going to be a new planeswalker named Koth. Okay? K-O-T-H. Right? Uh-huh. Okay. Lord knows what that means, but there you go. Um, the buy a box promo for Scars of Mirrodin is called Memoricide. We know nothing about it. It's right. the same as like when I found out the Rise buy a box promo was Ghoul Draz Assassin, but I had no info That's on right, the card. Yeah. It's just from when you subscribe for the buy a box promo, it tells you that this is the name of the card that's being shipped to you. So Memoricide. Memoricide. It, sound, it sounds like a haunting echoes kind of card, doesn't it? Something like, like that. Like, I'm going to destroy all your memories, right? So something that you've already played, right, flavor-wise, something that you've already seen, so it's in your graveyard and you're destroying it. That, I mean, that's the initial impression I get of it. It seems, it seems accurate. So the one card we actually have a hard name and everything for is Sword of Body and Mind. Um, I designed this card ten years ago, um, <laughs> back when I was a uh, Diehard casual player, probably uh, back less than ten years. Actually, ago. Actually, no. I woke you know. up with you know wet pants, dreaming about this card. Okay. Um, Fair enough. Anyway, uh, it costs three. It's a mythic rare. It's an equipment artifact. Uh, equipped creature gets plus two, plus two, and has protection from green and from blue. Whenever equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, you put a 2-2 green wolf token onto the battlefield, and that player puts the top 10 cards of his or her library into his or her graveyard, and it equips for two. Um, so that's hilarious. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like when it deals damage, you draw a grizzly bear and, and play it for free. And uh, also, you get a free, uh, what is it? Glimpse the Unthinkable. Yeah, Glimpse the Unthinkable. There you go. So you get a you get a Glimpse the Unthinkable and a uh, Grizzly Bear. And then there's also going to be a red and white sword, sort of question, question, according to this spoiler here. It, w- it would be interesting if it would just, like, lightning helixed. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it, it, would, it would be a lightning helix to us, but also it's a lightning bolt and a healing salve. And yeah. I, I don't know. Interesting idea. But. Uh, would, I would love that. Yeah. That'd be really great. I think everyone would really love that. Yeah. I think that would make it, like, it would make it really hot. No pun intended. So, that's that's all we have for now for uh, for Scars. I just wanted to, like, run by the information we have right, right now. Because it's kind of neat. So, um, so we had a, a comment on the Star City forums by Dustcob. And he, uh, I'm, I'm just going to read his comment, and we're going to talk about it. He wrote, I sometimes wonder if the creation of mythics is good for wizards or not. On one hand, it's incentive for people to crack packs, and that's good for wizards. But on the other hand, the prices aftermarket on some cards is a huge barrier for some to get into standard and be competitive, and that's bad for magic. And what's bad for magic in the long run is bad for Wizards of the Coast. Maybe the facts that older players like me are coming back into the game with enough expendable income to jack up those single pr- singles prices is part of the problem as well. I would love to hear you discuss this in more detail. Thanks for the podcast. Oh, and one more thing. How would you go about telling a friend that the EDH deck that he has painstakingly put together over a few years is just too powerful for your group? Any thoughts? So first, the EDH thing. I mean, just personally. Just ban him from your playgroup. Just, yeah, say, just, just tell, him, tell, him to, you know, tell him he's not welcome there. Just hit him in the face with a brick. Yeah, just, tell, just like one day, just be like, no, you can't play. You yeah. know, and then like if he has a problem with that, step on his toes really hard. <laughs> So, but, ser- <laughs> but seriously, uh, I think the the main thing is you just want to talk to him about it. But before you do it, try to identify exactly which cards you feel like are too powerful. So that way, if necessary, he can just make adjustments to the deck rather than feeling like the entire thing is 
unwelcome, and you know, I think I think that would at least go over a little better. At the same time, too, like define powerful. You know what I mean? Like that's another thing. Like yeah, I mean, how like, powerful is too powerful, and what sort of power level are we talking about here? Right. You know what I mean? Is everyone like putting skate zombies in their in their EDH decks except for him? Yeah, t- you, t- you and your friends should just make better EDH decks. That's right. <laughs> Stop fishing and start brewing. Damn right. <laughs> no, um, if he's your friend, you said my friend, right? Is that what he said? If, if, if he's your friend, you should be able to just talk to him. Like, why does everything have to be so damn passive-aggressive with EDH players? I don't understand. Like, it's, it seems, and I, I hope I don't, like, alienate anyone here, but it really seems like... Like EDH players are some of the most passive aggressive people in the entire world of magic. It's like there are all these things that I don't like, but I'm really too ashamed to tell you about them. So I'm going to like dance around the issue and figure out a way to di- no, just say something. If he's your friend, just be like, hey, you know, that deck is way too powerful. Like you should be able to talk about things if you're friends. Like there's no need to like beat around the bush. Right. You know, don't mince words. Just be like, hey. But Joe's right, you know? Figure out what the exact problem is. It can't just be every card in his deck is too powerful, you right, know? Right, right. Um, or, like, or stop bitch and start brewing. I, I'm, I'm kind of going to go with that, yeah, too. Yeah, it really depends on what it is he's doing. I mean, if you know his deck, then maybe you can figure out what hoses his deck yeah, and put that kind of stuff in your deck, if, and tell your you know your other friends that they need to play more of those kind of hoser cards. Yeah, hose his deck out. You know what I mean? Like it's not going to seem so powerful when you have the cards to fight it. And if you're always playing with the same group of people, meta game for that group of people. Yeah, you know, like that's what I wind up doing. I wind up changing my EDH deck every week to the people who I suspect will be there because we have about the same players. Yeah, you know, like if there's a lot of problems in your group, like with enchantments. Put a bunch of enchantment hate in your deck, you know? Like, you don't have deck lists. They don't, like, your decks aren't static, especially with EDH. You know, I, I change my deck every week mostly for cards I think are fun that day. I'm like, oh, I want to play with this today. You know, yeah. take out a couple cards, put a couple in, and, like, that shit can change, you know? Like, you don't have to keep it the same. So if there's something that's giving you a problem, change your deck. But the most important thing, I feel, is to just talk to him. You know, like, I mean, you can do these other things that we're suggesting, but talk to your friend because he's your friend and friends should communicate with each other and people should just communicate more openly in general, I feel. I agree. Um, So regarding the mythics comment, so uh, he just wonders what we think as far as our mythics maybe causing more of a problem, like, for the game. I I think a lot of people feel this way. Um, I don't. I don't necessarily feel this way because I really think, like, we used to have just rares. And rares were about, from what I understand, you know, judging on the print run and things, were about as rare as mythics are now, I think. So, so it's not as if we have these cards that are more rare than rare. In fact, what it is is these, what rare became... Uh, gained a different name, became Mythic Rare, and they kind of, every other rarity kind of shifted to the side a little bit to be more common, right? So commons are more common, uncommons are more common than the old uncommons, and rares are more un- are more common than the old rares. You know what I mean? So cards that are rare are very cheap now. He, he does bring up a really interesting point, and that is if players... Are like you know he said like you know the player base has gotten older, mm-hmm. right? This is like I'm, I'm kind of you know taking General his line. words yeah. and, and expanding on them. The player base has gotten much older than it used to be ten years ago or whatever. Um, the that means that the income of the player base has also increased just naturally, you know, right? Um, if the players are willing to spend the secondary market prices on these cards, that's what dictates the prices in the secondary market. Right. Wizards doesn't go, here is a Jace the Mind Sculptor, we are putting it in packs, it's worth $75. Right. They exactly. never say that. Like, what happens is, you're a dealer, 
you crack open like four cases of World Wake, you get like ten Jace the Mind Sculptors, and you put them online for like thirty bucks, right? Everyone like immediately grabs them at thirty bucks. They're like, well, they're willing to pay thirty. Let's try fifty. Throw them up there for fifty. If they go away, it's like, all right. Well, apparently people are willing to just spend fifty bucks on them without hesitation. What happens if I throw them up there for seventy-five dollars? Throw them up there, woo, gone. Right. You know. If you don't like the price of Mythics, don't pay that price. You know what I mean? Don't if you don't like ultimately we as players determine the market value of a card. Absolutely. You know, we decide that that card is worth spending $75 on. You know, if a store were to put up a Jace for $150 non-foil and put up 100 copies at 150 bucks, nobody's going to buy it. Because we set that price. You know, we, we decide which prices are acceptable or unacceptable to pay for our cards. Right. So, it, that's the, I mean, like, can you boycott buying a certain card at a certain price? I don't think we'll ever be that organized. But, like, yeah. you can personally decide that this is not worth paying this much money for. And if enough people make that same decision then a card's price will inevitably drop. Right. Because the dealers are in the business of selling cards. You know, they're not in the business of setting prices. They're in the business of selling cards. We set the prices. They sell the cards to us at the prices we set. Pretty much. That are acceptable to us. Right, exactly. And, right. and, and they're trying... Look at Baneslayer. Right. I mean, Baneslayer was 60 bucks. Now it's around 35 maybe. Uh... 35 30? for the M10 and 30 for M11. Which doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. I mean, it's... I guess people... I guess it's just the... People are opening more of the M11 ones right now. And I think it's just like they don't want to drop that price that much. I don't know what it is. Right. It's also older. But the thing is, I'm not buying Bane Slayers because I have them. Right? So I'm one less person who's buying that card. Right. So when dealers have it, everybody's getting their Bane Slayers and the prices are going to drop the more they they are, uh, the more the more people have Bane Slayers, the less people buying Bane Slayers, right? So this brings me to a question that I thought of: Should Mythics be downgraded to rare when they're reprinted? I, I don't know if I fully go one way or the other on this, but um, but the the thing that made me think of it was the Lorwyn Planeswalkers, right? Because now we've only seen them in like every set that Cancel's been in. I feel like like it's really just ridiculous now, and they're like Mythic Rare and Mythic Rare. The the uh, you know the the thing with Mythics is it's, they're supposed to be jaw dropping and exciting when you open one, and it's not exciting to open Liliana Vest for the you know fifth sixth. Tenth time because you've been opening this card in packs for three years, four years. I mean, 2007, it was a rare. Now, maybe they're a bad example, but I think, like, it's not as jaw-dropping when it's reprinted. See, I understand what you're saying, okay? Uh, I totally understand from your perspective and, and from my perspective, too, you know? Every time I opened a Platinum Angel in an M11 booster when I was cracking our case to sell singles, mm -hmm. I wanted to cry. Like, I was just like, great, there goes, there goes... Right. And I was so excited about that in Mirrodin. It's like, that was a Baneslayer waiting to happen. Now, see, those... Platinum Angel, Liliana Vess, those cards are not in those boosters for us. Okay? They're not in those booster packs for the, quote, seasoned veterans of the game. They're in those packs for the player who goes, I just got an intro deck of this new game. Now I want to buy a booster pack. Holy crap, what's a Planeswalker? You know what I mean? They open it, they see this card. It's the first Mythic Rare they open. When you when you are like 12 years old and your playgroup consists of three other 12-year-olds who don't know how to put removal in their decks and you open a card that says you can't win the game and your opponents can't... Or you can't lose the game. Sorry, Abyssal Persecutor. Yeah. <laughs> you can't lose the game and your opponents can't win the game. That's like the most exciting thing ever. You're like, I will never lose at Magic ever again. You know, like, <laughs> it's it. You win every match until they figure out, oh, my God, I Natural need to start loss. dealing <laughs> right. with that. You know what I mean? Like, like it, it creates a meta game. Like, I feel like it, ha it no, serves I its purpose. And no, 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 but I'm not arguing with you. No, no, no. I, you have a very interesting point, too. About I think they should still be in the packs, but just 
because but they've already been printed, put them but at that's, rare. But that's for you. I mean, that's for you. So make, they're making a concession. They're saying, here, we're going to put these cards into the packs for the 12-year-olds, and we're going to make them rare but instead of mythic but for the people be who mythic. have been opening a million of them. You but know? they're supposed to be mythic. The people who are opening a million of them are going to open a million of them anyway to get their primeval titans. You know what I mean? Like, like if they well, primeval titan should be mythic. That's but well, so should Liliana Vess and Platinum Angel. It's just that they're not okay. They're not new to us, but they're new to other people. Why is it any less exciting for newer players to open a primeval titan than a Liliana Vess? You know what I mean? Like it's it's, it's equally exciting. But right, well, that's what I'm saying. So they can make so they have something that's equally exciting. If they make us excited, it's going to make them excited too. Not really. I, I mean, mean, what are they going to they're, like? They're going to complain about Primeval Titan. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't. You I, know, a new player might not find Primeval Titan as exciting as something like, uh, uh, you know, like something like um, Liliana Vess or Platinum Angel, because I mean, Primeval Titan searches up lands and like. Well, I mean, that was just a thrown out thing. But what I'm trying to say is like. Uh, the younger players are going to be excited by a lot of the same things we're excited about. So why not make everybody excited rather than saying we're just going to make the 12-year-olds excited and screw the people who have been loyal for years and years. You know what I mean? Screw you guys. You're going to keep opening Platinum Angels and Liliana Vesses and, and, and you know these Planeswalkers. Okay, first of all, the players who've been playing for years and years and years and years uh-huh. just buy singles anyway. Okay. They they know they just go straight to the secondary market. They buy the cards that they need, you know. People like you have the foresight to buy Grave Titans at 12 bucks each. You know like and 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 that's what we do for the most part. I don't I don't I open packs because I win them at tournaments. I don't ever open. Right. I've never bought a pack of Zendikar block. I haven't yeah. bought a single pack of that entire block. Who buys these packs? Like well, and, that, and that's, I think it's a cycle. I think I'm not buying packs because of crap like I'm going to pull a Platinum Angel in my Mythic Rare slot, so I'll just buy singles. But if, if the packs had things that, if all the Mythics were, like, exciting, I'd be like, wow, when I open a Mythic, it will be jaw-dropping to me. As well as the 12-year-old who's opening his 15th pack ever in his life, it's exciting to him, and it's exciting to me too. But why go, I'm opening a Liliana Vest, and it's like, great. And he opens it, and he's excited. That's only half of us. So when trade you him, could trade him your Liliana vest for his primeval Titan. Right. Well, I'm, and then you, then that's a whole other story. Because then I feel terrible for the rest of my life for ripping off the twelve. No, he's excited. He got his first planeswalker. Right. I'm just saying, like, that's a different, a uh, completely different uh, discussion, I guess. But and of course, I mean, it's all about balance. And I understand, like, there's a lot that goes into the balance of the limited format. So it's that's, I'm sure, a huge factor in what would keep that from happening. But I just feel like if they want Mythic Rares to be jaw-dropping, then freaking make them jaw-dropping, not something that has been printed in Lorwyn, in M10, now in M11, the third time in three years. Like it's it, The first time we saw Liliana Vest was three years ago in Lorwyn. It hasn't even been three years, and they've been printed three times. People joked about Cancel being printed a lot. It's the same thing. You know what I mean? I mean, we've seen Cancel how many times? Well, I don't even know what the first set Cancel was in. Giant spiders. It was in Time Spiral. Right, so I'm just saying. (laughs) In in a short amount of time, it seems kind of weird. Now, Cancel, at least, is just a common, so you just pass right by it in your pack. What about Blood Throne Vampire? All right, all right, all right. Anyway, that was just, just, just an idea. It feels like... You know, if mythics are supposed to be exciting, then make them try to make them exciting for more people than just the people who are, who are going to be excited by almost any rare they get. Right. I, it's. I'm just saying, like, a new player is excited by new cards, no matter what they are. You know how much freaking we loved Polar Kraken when we first saw it. You know, Leviathan. Yeah. That was a high five. That was a high five heard. for Polar Kraken. You right. right. I'm just saying, like, you're excited about anything. That was a mythic rare. Right. Seriously, like, pol- like I freaking loved Vesuvian Doppelganger and and Royal Assassin and Icy Manipulator and all those cards, like Force of Nature, Hidden Path. Like those cards were exciting because you know what? They were cards. That's all they needed to be. It was an exciting game. I liked it. it it's exciting. You don't need to do so much work to excite these new players. I feel like, I mean, as remembering when I was a new player, 
But most all of those it needed, cards, all it took were big numbers in the bottom right. But all corner. of those cards back then would have been mythic rare were they mythic rares. And the competitive players at the time would have been like, "Oh my God, Polar Kraken! Right. That's not a you know, that's not a, a, a whatever the hell would have been like a Chase Mythic back then, you know, like like that that would have been the same, you know, it's the same thing." Just right. Well, I was excited about Crawl Worm too because I had no idea whether it was rare or not. You right. know what I'm saying? But what I mean is, uh, put a card there like Primeval Titan. And it's worm. our it's our first yeah scaled worm you know we were trading for that damn card yep. it was like somebody was I remember somebody trying to get a shivan dragon for his scaled worm now luckily I, and this was my cousin some my cousin wanted a scaled worm and the guy said give me your shivan dragon and I'll give you the scaled worm and luckily my cousin didn't take that deal uh, but it was definitely something that was considered but I probably would have I'm glad I wasn't there right I mean, I'll do it I got right. a shipping dragon here you go right because he's only 5'5 five, five, and scale worm 7'6 way bigger right so um, but the, and that's what I'm saying like put the primeval titans in there at mythic and you're exciting everybody there the, the titans not pr- all primeval titans the primeval titan cycle they all do the same thing they just cost different <laughs> just different color different color mana no uh but I'm, I, I guess I'm saying it would free up space for some, some new cards from different new mythics, also, which also will excite the new players. That's what I'm saying. So now you make, well, now all the mythics are exciting to everybody because they're at least new, you know? So, I don't know, just an idea. And again, I think it's a limited environment that would, would keep that, would be the biggest factor from keeping that from happening. But it just seems disappointing when we find out you know what planeswalkers are going to be in M11 oh the Lorwyn planeswalkers again and I had to meet the president of the United States again <laughs> <laughs> sorry Forrest Gump reference uh, that's an old meme there we no, go <laughs> so well I didn't mean to go off uh, so much on that topic but um oh well we did we did <laughs> but uh, I guess we just uh, we're pretty much done I think for this week we just have a couple announcements Okay. Which uh, which I think pretty interesting. So, first announcement, John Medina, Funky J Medina, MTG Metagame on Twitter, of, uh, you know, formerly of MTGmetagame.com and more recently DoublingSeason.com, has accepted an offer from Star City Games to write a weekly premium column, so congrats to John. Yeah, John. Uh, because of this, all the content... Legit! Yeah, totally legit. Uh, also, because of this, all the content from Doubling Season is going to be migrating over to quietspeculation.com, which uh, is Kelly Reed's site. Since John's no longer writing for Doubling Season, they decided to move the content just to quietspeculation.com. So, to quiet the speculation. Yes, in order to quiet speculation. Um, <laughs> so, uh, more uh, another announcement more on the YoMTG Taps front. YoMTG Taps will now be available on both manadeprives.com and 60cards.com. Both of these are, uh, if you haven't heard of these sites before, they're up-and-coming magic websites that we've mentioned before on the show. Um, they're definitely worth checking out. Patrick Chapin has written for 60 Cards, and Michael Flores um, has worked with Mana Deprived. Um, they've put up some, some videos, some constructed videos, uh, so check both of those sites out. Um, I, think, I think that's just about it. Um, for those of you that are going to be at U.S. Nationals, we're going to be at U.S. Nationals. We're going to be at U.S. Nationals. So, uh, where can we... You need to find us a place to stay. <laughs> yeah, we haven't exactly figured out we where have, to stay. I have my Greyhound ticket. I'm taking the Greyhound bus 28 hours to come down there. I better not have to sleep outside. <laughs> like, I'm telling you. Like, I, I, I better have a place to sleep. All I need is a floor. I don't need a blanket. I don't need a pillow. I just need a floor. Yeah, we haven't figured out exactly what we're doing as far as staying. We do have one slot. We have we have a slot open for one of us. But That's what she it, said. It, potentially two. <laughs> That's what she said. All right, all right. Sorry, I. It's good. It's good. It's good. <laughs> she don't make it last longer than necessary. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to spend that one right to you on a plate. Are you through yet? Because I'm getting tired of holding this. No, but um, so we haven't figured out where we're gonna stay yet, but we're gonna figure it out. But we're excited to actually be at Nationals. I'm leaving. We're gonna be there Saturday. Well, Joe's gonna get there what Friday, Friday night. night. So I need a place to stay Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. I, I'm leaving from work. I get off work at 9 a.m. on 
on uh, Saturday morning. I, my flight lands at like 11.30 or something. Oh, I'm sorry, like 10.30. So I think I can get to the site by 11 because it looks like it's a 20-minute cab ride. So uh, we just haven't figured out exactly where to crash yet. Um, and hopefully that shouldn't be a huge problem. So uh, We'll figure if, it out. Yeah. If any of you guys have any suggestions, let us know. Yeah, and, and, and if your suggestion is three-day coke binge and just don't sleep, no, that's okay. I'm good. Uh glad you mentioned that. Yeah, I'm glad I mentioned that too. Um, you have something else? Yeah, I do have something else. Sorry, go ahead. Our contest is over and we need to find the winner. Okay, so, so here, with the contest, we said it ended on, on August 6th, right, which is... Uh, oh, the 6th? We said it ended on the 6th, which is the day that this is being posted. Oh, crap, I forgot. I thought we... I thought we said it ended last week. No, no, no. I said August sixth. We, we oh. gave people an extra, extra bit of time. So, for the contest, um, we said it ended on the sixth. But I'm gonna say, since we're not recording the next episode until the following Monday, which would be the ninth, if you can get a comment in on our episode thirty on the Star City Games forums, by the time we record on Monday morning, August ninth, or Monday afternoon, August ninth then you're eligible to win. We're giving away an Arch Enemy t-shirt, and if we get 30 or more comments, not including our own comments, because we've added in there too, um, then we'll be giving away a Yo! MTG Tap t-shirt as well. Um, and uh, again, we want the comments on our episode 30, on the Star City Games Forum. So not on I Want My MTG, which is our website, or not MTG cast, but on the Star City Games Forum. Episode 30. Episode 30, exactly. So, uh, thank you guys for listening. Thanks for being there for us through thick and thin. Right, and we'll see you next week. Our fans are the greatest fans in the world. I know I've said this on every stop on the tour, but you guys have been the best audience that we've ever had in our entire... Yo MTG Taps is available every Friday on StarCityGames.com. You can also find us on MTGCast.com, O2Drop.com, TheSarkingtonPost.com, ManaDeprived.com, and 60Cards.com. Visit our website, IWantMyMTG.com, for past episodes, t-shirts, free stickers, and more. You can contact us at YoMTGTaps at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at YoMTGTaps.